Hey there, and welcome to episode number 62 of Become a Guitarist Today with myself, Adam Roach. So in this episode, I am joined with one of Australia's busiest and best guitarists, Mr. Simon Hosford. So we're going to talk about how he first started playing guitar, uh, his influences, then he tells us what it was like playing with Virgil Donati, which is actually one of his first bands coming out of the high school days. Uh, he also played with Tommy Manuel, uh, John Stevens, and lots more people. And we also talk about his current projects that include the, the musical School of Rock and what it's like being in the pit. And he has a lot of other projects coming up as well, including a tribute to Van Halen playing the, the whole entire first album, marking their, their 40 years of the release of that. So I can't wait for that one. I'll definitely be there. So let's go straight over to this interview now. We are caught up with Simon at his studio at his house. Okay, so here I am with Simon Hosford, finally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a trick to get together, hasn't it? Yeah, thanks for being on the podcast. A pleasure, Adam. Let's start off with how you first got started playing guitar for Ken and yeah. influences. Yeah, no worries. Well, I came from a family where my parents weren't musicians, but I was pretty fortunate in that I think they just recognised in me early that there was something going on there because they just leave me sitting in front of the radio yeah. uh, while they went about their business during the day and I'd sit there for the whole day. I think they thought there was either something wrong or, um, or I liked music. So, um, so when I was about five, uh, they asked if I wanted some guitar lessons and I said, yep, that sounded pretty good. Oh, five, and, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah. Um, and so I got guitar lessons and, and really enjoyed it. And so it sort of went from there. So that yeah. was sort of classical guitar in the beginning. Oh, really? The full um, size? Yeah, I was playing on the full size. Wow. And... Um, you know, it was a little bit of a trick, but I had a good teacher, hmm. and uh, so I started on the classical guitar, but it was pretty obvious, even as when I got a little bit older, when I was like nine or ten, I was still listening to the radio, yeah. predominantly, whenever I wasn't practicing my classical guitar pieces, I'd be sort of smashing away on, on bar chords, yeah. you know, <laughs> and trying to write sort of basic little songs, and... You know, my parents used to say, that doesn't sound like your classical guitar practice. <laughs> Sounds like something else, you know. But I think they could see where it was heading. And, and so they, um, they said, you know, if I kept up the classical guitar till I was about finishing primary school, I was about 12, that they'd get me an electric guitar and a little amp. Okay. And so that didn't need to say anything more about that. Yeah. So, yeah, so uh, I kept diligently playing my classical guitar and then uh, they kept true to their word and got me an electric and an amp, which... I don't know whether they love that they did that or not, but uh, mm. that was the be the beginning of the end for me, and uh, and I loved it. I still had the same guitar teacher actually, who was then teaching me on electric guitar as well. Okay. Uh, so that worked out really, really well. And then uh, probably only about a year or so later than that, I guess I would be like starting high school, like mm. thirteen or something. Uh, my guitar teacher also had a, knew a couple of other older guys that was you know a few years older that were looking for a guitarist for their band, just playing covers, you know. And so they asked if I was interested, and so I became the young guy in the in the high school cover band, <laughs> and it sort of went from there. Yeah. You know, that's um, we just would play, uh, you know, like sort of high school lunches at different high schools and you know house parties and yeah. anywhere that would have us really. <laughs> and then I went to, at that time, I went to a high school called Blackburn High, which had a pretty good music program. Mm. I, I believe it still does. And so there, they didn't have anything for me to do on guitar initially, so I ended up learning double bass. Oh, really? And electric bass as well. And so I played in the school orchestra playing double bass, and then I played in the, in the school big band with, on electric bass. And then they, they had some good like music history and music theory kind of classes as well. Yep. So I did that there, and uh, 
probably towards the end of that, like maybe when I was 16 or something, then they had a, a guy come into the school who could play bass really well, much better than me. <laughs> and um, so they, they put him on electric bass in the big band yep. and then said, well, you better play guitar then. I was like, well, finally. You know? <laughs> so, um, I mean, obviously I've been playing guitar the whole time anyway, yeah. just not yeah. at school. That's sort of about it up to there. Yeah. Now, do you find with the classical, because I know a lot of people like myself um, started on classical when I was younger. Right. And you don't really realise until maybe later, like how influential it is when you're playing and reading and everything. You find that like later that really helps you, learning classical at the start? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, one of the obvious things is with classical guitar, you sort of begin reading. Yeah. And especially because I started young. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, reading is a skill that, you know, probably I don't use a lot now. Yeah. Certainly not as a session guitarist. It's pretty rare now. But it has helped with certain types of gigs. Like the TV stuff that I've done over the years is always reading, so it would have meant that I couldn't do any of that. Yeah. Um, and also, I quite like doing things where, you know, if I'm making a recording and I have to arrange a little string quartet, you know, yeah. or something like that, then obviously the reading came in great for that. Yeah. But uh, So that's one thing. And then something that I'm not that aware of, but sometimes when I'm jamming with another guitarist, they'll point out is the way I, that my left hand goes, you know, different hand positions and things. Okay, yeah. They sort of go, oh, you, your thumb is in a really interesting spot. It's very, it looks very proper. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so I guess that would probably come from that classical guitar yeah. technique rather than, you know, if I had have started straight away on the electric guitar learning Hendrix and stuff, yeah. then um, the left the hand the is, yeah, you put the thumb <laughs> over the top and it's, it's definitely a little bit more, haphazard is probably not the word, but it's, mm. It's sort of more open to interpretation, like where your thumb might go or yeah. stuff like that, you know, which fingering you might use. Yeah. So, yeah, it de- definitely had an impact for sure. Yeah. So with the thumb, do you find it more like in the middle of the neck going up for the classical? Yes. So normally with, unless it's a really bluesy kind of a thing, yeah, yeah. Uh, or like we were saying, like a Hendrix thing or whatever, my thumb would be sort of behind my second finger, okay, yep. more or less, and not too much over the top of the neck, Yep. if that makes That's sense. Right. Yeah, yep. yeah. That's kind of... Kind of behind uh, and in the middle. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So how about your influences back then? You know, as I was saying, I listened to a lot of the radio and it was probably just FM, you know, the yep. United Fox or Triple M or whatever at the time. And so it was what, initially it was whatever they were playing, uh, which would be sort of Aussie rock, that kind of thing. Yep. Some American rock as well, of course, back back then. That would have been, I guess we're talking about middle 80s, so it yep. was when rock was a was still pretty big and my parents had a decent enough record collection although strangely i never heard them playing they never yeah. played them <laughs> yeah. so um but it was pretty varied everything from the beatles to um orchestral stuff some jazz like stan Getz and whatever they had in the collection um opera singing and then they had like a mixture of uh some aussie rock stuff like some mondo rock midnight oil yeah. so i'd listen to those but i think the thing that made the biggest impact was when my guitar teacher at the time, he would have other students give him like mix cassettes, yeah, yeah. mixtapes of um, of whatever they were listening to and said, oh, you know, check this out. And he had a different student of his give him a Van Halen compilation. Yeah. And it was, uh, I guess it was a mix of, say, the first four or five Van Halen records on this one 100-minute cassette. <laughs> and um, so he said, oh, I think you might like this. You better check this out, you yeah. know. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. You know, I was like, I had no idea how he was even making those sounds on a guitar. But of course, I was completely hooked and fascinated. So 
I wore that tape out pretty much, from, you know, just kept playing it round and round and round. And I had a cassette player at the time that would um, have like auto repeat. Oh, so really? it would auto, without me having to take the cassette out and change sides, it would just keep reversing, you know. Oh, okay, yeah. And so it just stayed in there pretty much. <laughs> I think it just about glued itself into the cassette deck, you know. Yeah. And so that was that definitely had a really big influence, and it taught me. Um, also, I mean, a lot of those things that Van Halen was doing, all his licks and stuff, were way too fast for yeah. my little ears to, <laughs> to really catch what he was doing. But I had this tiny old open reel recorder that I used to have in my bedroom. Yep. So I would dub the whatever was on the cassette into that so I could slow it down, so I could go yeah. down to half speed or I could go to quarter speed okay. um, if it was really tricky. Yeah. <laughs> Although, of course, it, it would put it down two octaves. So it was slower, but it was very hard to hear what was going yeah. on. And so it really taught me how to how to do that as well. Whereas mm. probably if I was listening to maybe a different kind of guitar music that wasn't quite so fast, that I wouldn't have learned how to work things out by slowing them down. Yeah. So that was a, that was a pretty big influence. And then uh, around that same time, I think I went and bought my first vinyl record, yep. which was um, Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast. Okay. And uh, and so you know that started my vinyl collection as well. Yeah. So yeah, I, I guess from that point, really, the the rock stuff turned me on more than any other style. Yeah, you know. So um, maybe about a year later, uh, my guitar teacher got a cassette from another student who was like, "Van Halen, that stuff's rubbish. <laughs> this is what you need to be listening to." And it was Inve Malmsteen. Oh really? And it was his trilogy record, yeah. and um, I loved that too. But it was so completely different, you know, because Eddie is. I guess I think of Eddie as more like almost like a hyper blues, you know, yeah. like uh, like an amped up blues, whereas Malmsteen's kind of like more like amped up violin music, like yeah, classical yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's right. And but you know, I liked them both separately for yep. what they were. And uh, you know, Malmsteen was much more about almost like that classical guitar technique that you're talking about, yep. and much more with the right hand and mm. the pick, uh, whereas Eddie was more with. Like pulling off onto open strings and, and kind of bluesy licks and yep. stuff like that. I think I read somewhere that a lot of Eddie's stuff when he was young, he used to basically try, he worked out a lot of Eric Clapton and he would just try figuring out how to play Clapton licks faster. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I think that gave him some ideas. Yeah, so then, so I was, as far as guitarists go, they were probably like the main two mm. that I would listen to back and forward. But then, of course, like, I mean, lots of other different guitar influences. Um, I was fortunate because my guitar teacher would listen to different things and he was pretty versatile. Yeah. Like he was a really good classical guitarist, but he would teach people rock electric. Okay. So, you know, um, started listening to a bit more jazzy stuff as well, like Wes Montgomery and yep. stuff like that. Um, what about Aldo Miola? Did you ever get no, I sort of, um, I mean, Aldo Miola is great, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, he was one of those players where... It wasn't like I heard him and didn't like him. I just, he didn't really come into my field of vision yeah, much, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, later, because I would do things like, you know, I'd read, say, an Inve Malmsteen interview where he would talk about Aldi Miola. Okay, yeah. And so I'd go, oh, I have to check this guy out. <laughs> but when I was younger, no, um, not so much. Then there were, I mean, Steve Lukather, yeah. I loved when I was young, you know, because to me, he combined, you know, his playing probably wasn't, like I say, as, as crazy and off the wall as mm. Eddie's or Malmsteen's which yep. is like, to me, everything on 110%, you know. Luther was really musical, and you could hear some of his sort of jazz influences coming into the way he played, and I sort of really liked that. It sounded cool to me. But then, of course, there, you know, you got your whole spate of 
classic rock and heavy metal virtuoso guys like Steve Vai, yeah. Paul Gilbert, <laughs> Tony McAlpine, George Lynch. You know, I really actually liked... My parents had uh, the record of the um, the Survivor album with Eye of the Tiger on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that whole album was just called Eye of the Tiger. I'm not sure. But it was that record. And, you know, I really liked um, Jim's playing, the guitarist. Mm. So I really liked his phrasing. Angus Young, you know, all that, all that early ACDC stuff I listened to a lot. So, yeah, it was a mix, but it was pretty pretty well all fitting under the rock yeah. <laughs> umbrella. You know, yeah. I listened to little bits and pieces of other things. You know, I still listen to John Williams playing classical guitar. I had a lot yeah. of his records from when I was doing classical guitar. I'd listen to that, and like I said, I sort of started listening to jazz a little bit more as well. I really liked uh, Martin, somebody who played uh, solo acoustic, uh, okay. solo jazz, basically. So where he'd do the whole song arrangement on the guitar, you know, with the chords and the melody and the bass line and stuff. And I really enjoyed listening to that. And sometimes I would sit down and transcribe it. I think probably in a nutshell, that would, that would cover my influences at that point anyway. You know, I was listening to a lot of rock and pretty excited about that. So from there, you just went into like high school bands? So I played in the high school band. So yeah, like I said, I was doing the, uh, the double bass in the orchestra yeah. and then electric bass in the big band, and which was great, actually. It sort of might seem to someone that it's a bit of a sideways step. But I think, you know, I, w- I learned some really valuable things playing bass in the big band that I probably wouldn't have learned on guitar. I mean, one of them, of course, is like pocket and playing with a drummer, which I think it's important actually for any instrument. But especially with the bass, you, you just you have a greater appreciation of how you're holding it down and you're kind of part of the bottom pyramid, yeah. bottom of the pyramid, if you like, you know. So that was really good. Uh, so I did that and I was still playing in the, um, the, rock, the rock covers band with the yeah. guys that we were called Vision and uh, still doing those gigs. And then I guess really outside of that, when I finished high school, uh, I went to the Victorian College of the Arts for a year. Well, I was intending, of course, to go for three years, but I I ended up just going for one year, and that's because um, I got asked if I would jam with Virgil Donati, drummer, and um, really liked his stuff. I had an early Loose Change record uh, live on. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. live at the Grain Store. I think I first came across when I was about 14. Was that with uh, Mark Dominey? That's with Mark Dominey, yeah, and I believe Steve Hadley on bass. Uh, who I ended up touring with Men at Work later, actually, okay. with Steve. And also Joe Kindamo on keys. And so I loved that. And then when I was 16, uh, my parents took me to see Virgil live. And the first thing I saw with him, I think, live was they were doing the Van Halen tribute oh, yeah, called Hans Valen, Hans Valen yeah. right, with <laughs> yeah. Pete Goldsworthy yeah. and, and Jack Jones and, um, and Stuart Wilkinson. Yeah. And Jeff Kane, actually, on bass, if, That's right. if I remember yeah, correctly. That's right. He was in Southern Sons. So that was the first time I'd seen Virgil live. Yeah. And Jack, actually, at the Corner Hotel in Richmond. And I was just like, wow. And so that was the first time, really, live I'd seen like local players yeah. playing the way that I like, you know, the guys I was listening to, the American guys and the British guys. And so I was like, wow, okay. So then um, when I got asked if I would like to jam sort of jam slash audition, I guess, with Virgil for a, a band he was possibly putting together. Yeah. That was no-brainer of the century. So I did that. So that was, 
I guess I was 18 or 19 and when I was going to College of the Arts. So I did that and uh, yeah, we jammed a couple of times and he said, are you guys interested in doing a, an instrumental band, you know, along the lines of uh, Loose Change or, and the one after that he had was um, The Gnomes of Zurich. Oh, I don't yeah, know if yeah. you ever saw that, yeah. but that was, yeah. I saw that a bunch too. That was with um, Chris Becker on bass, James Roche from Bachelor Girl on keys yep. and Verge, of course, and Jack as well. Yeah, pretty sure I saw that at the Green Store, maybe. Yeah, they used to play upstairs there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, and then I started doing that, and then everything just kind of started taking off from there. And that yeah. was really why I didn't end up finishing the, the College of the Arts course, because I got so busy that I was starting to, to miss a lot of classes. And I thought, well, this is crazy. I, I may as well like take a year off and defer the next two years yeah. and then just see how things go. Obviously, if things don't keep being busy, mm. then I can go back and finish it. But things got pretty busy after that, so um, so I didn't end up going back. Oh, that was some amazing though, playing the Virgil. It was great. I mean, it was your first like yeah, it was big one. Thing. Of, it was one of the first th- big things at really outside of high school. Yeah, yeah. you know, it, and it was it was it was fantastic, and it was a little bit daunting at the time as yeah. well. But of course, it was fantastic because it really. It really it t- it took me to another level because I was forced to go to another level. You know, yeah. I mean, there, I could think of times when, well, actually, if I backtrack it a little bit with guitar, you know, all the stuff I was listening to, yeah. it was still guitar, a way of playing the guitar that was um, done by guitarists. Mm. Whereas playing in on the verge, I had to play all sorts of things, and I had to play lines that um, the keyboard player Phil Tercio would write, mm. and they're basically piano lines, you know, and. Um, and there was one that he wrote for a song where um, Virgil said, oh, that would be really cool if you guys played that, that together at the same time. So I tried, you know, I sort of went away for a week and went, okay, I'll learn this piano line yeah. and came to rehearsal the next week and said, I just can't. I can get it within about 20 beats a minute of it, but it's just way too hard under the fingers. Yeah. So I can't do it, you know. And then Virgil just looked at me and he goes, you'll be able to do it, just like that. And yeah. I was like, right. Okay, um, and so we had a rehearsal in another two weeks' time, and I pretty much did nothing but try and figure out this <laughs> damn piano thing that Phil had written, <laughs> and I refingered it and found a way. It was like, okay, it barely playable, but it's playable. Yeah. And so they're, they're the kinds of things I probably wouldn't have been forced into were it not yeah. for playing in that band, you know. And obviously, it was all pretty crazy. It was fast and odd time, and <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. Yeah. So is that a lot of it already written, or did you go in write some of the parts as well? No, we decided to. There were, you know, there was always a couple of covers of things that we'd throw in, mm. uh, whatever it was that we were listening to, and not necessarily new things. Could be like old Jeff Beck, or okay. um, we played a Steve Moore song called uh, "Cruise Missile." Yeah, we just sort of handpick a couple of things, but mostly it was written. And I'd say, really, Virgil probably wrote about half of it. Phil Tercio wrote a lot. On the keys, and every Petey's who was playing bass wrote mm. wrote some things as well, and I wrote a little bit of things. At that time, my head was probably more in writing pop, and so it's those ideas weren't really coming out of me intuitively, yep. you know. Mm. So yeah, I would co-write things with the guys. I say, oh, how about if we put in a riff like this here, or play it like this way there? But yeah, predominantly it would be Virgil and and Phil and every writing for it, and yeah, yeah and sometimes we'd come up with some things together in the rehearsal room. And more often than not, though, it would be Virgil would have his sequencing software stuff. I'm not sure what he was using at the time, but and Phil had his and every had his. So we, really, 
people would bring like on cassette or something yeah. an idea they've kind of thrown together with just program beat and okay. bits and pieces, you know. And sometimes it was almost a full song. And then if we liked it, we'd go, okay, cool, let's learn that. And then it would just, you know, we'd toy with it and play mm. with it a little bit. And then sometimes it'd just be really like a few ideas. Like it might be 30 seconds of a cool riff. Yeah. And then, you know, we'd jump in and write something around that. Yeah. So, yeah, more often than not, people would come with an idea. But sometimes, you know, of course, just from jamming in a rehearsal room, someone goes, what's that? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then something gets written yeah. sort of on the spot. You didn't really go through a lot of the, uh, say, garage band days. No. Oh. You went straight from there to there. Well, that's true. I, I know what you mean. Although I suppose most, for me, everything probably just started a bit younger because really my garage band days was all of that high school stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I probably still, you know, I mean, I started that when I was 13. So I probably did six years of it, of yeah. the garage band stuff. But yeah, it was just I was just fortunate that through a friend of a friend, Virgil was looking for another guitarist to do a fusion project with and then through Virgil then of course I met Jack actually I'd already met Jack a little bit but but then you know played with Roger McLaughlin and Andrew Grant and and then I think because James Roche the keyboard player had and the writer producer of Bachelor Girl had been working with Virgil in Gnomes of Zurich so that was how uh, he came to know of me as well and he ended up getting me to record about half of the first Bachelor Girl record Oh, okay. So it's just funny how, like, when you you don't really think about it as it's happening, but yeah. when you look back, so much of it is just personal contact <laughs> yeah. with people. You know, it's word of mouth and stuff. Quite often have students actually say, what should I do to get noticed or start playing in bands or, or whatever it is? And it's tricky because there obviously are things you can do. You know, you can, you, well, for a start, you could go to gigs yeah. and um, and sort of hang out and let people know you're around, like mm. sort of be in people's faces, you know. But the problem is they haven't heard you play. It's It all comes down to who, who gets to hear you play. Um, and so, you know, in my situation, if I look back, it was all because I'd already played with somebody and then they spoke to another guy. Yep. And then they'd get me to play for them or record or whatever it was. And then they'd speak to yet another guy. Yeah. <laughs> so it just kept going around. Because that was actually how I ended up getting the gig uh, touring with Tommy Emmanuel hmm. was then through James Roche. Oh, okay. Yep. So I recorded the Bachelor Girl stuff. Yeah. And then Tommy asked James, I'm looking for a guitarist. Yeah. So you can see it's just yeah, keeps, yeah. <laughs> it keeps going off on tangents based yeah. on who I'd worked with. Right. I guess then the answer to the question is you just got to do as much playing with different people yeah. as you can, you know. But yeah, so that was that was how all that started. So the time with Tommy, that must yeah. have been pretty amazing because I mean, he's one of my favorite guitarists. You know, the stuff he does on the acoustic is just amazing. I've seen some of your clips too, oh, playing yeah. with him, and right, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, he is. Um, he's definitely a very, very unique 
musician yeah. and, and such a lovely guy as well. But Tommy's one of those guitarists that it's when you're alongside him, it's that you can't quite figure out whether you're really inspired or really <laughs> depressed. You know, um, he really is so good. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. So the time with him was great. And Tommy's a guitarist that um, I think more people know now. But I think back then, obviously, he was known as like the gun session guitarist in the country. Yeah. You know, and then he had his solo records, especially those early solo records didn't really show like what a master musician yeah. and improviser that he is, you know. I really was lucky because I got to see that firsthand when I was touring with him. Mm. And he can play really almost anything. <laughs> and the thing that makes it even more depressing is he can play anything with no preparation. Yeah. You know, I mean, he'll pull out a song. I saw, saw him in front of 2,000 people. He'd play a song that he hadn't played in 15 years oh, wow. flawlessly. You yeah. Know? And there's pretty much nothing you can throw at him that he won't like. We sometimes in the show, towards the end, we we trade, you know. Yeah. And that was always horrifying for me because I always thought I could do that pretty good until I started doing that with Tommy. <laughs> yeah. And he just has this endless vocabulary of of ideas, you know, and that he executes perfectly. So, yeah, like rock, blues, jazz, country, yeah. um, and you know all that old finger style stuff and Chet Atkins type things that yeah. of course the place second nature to him you know yeah. but yeah and on top of that uh, such a sweet sweet human being you mm. know which is which is why he still goes around even now like doing workshops and teaching people and yeah. you know he's he's always about spreading the love so to speak you know yeah. with, with music but yeah a great experience working with Tom yeah. for sure because I remember going to see his shows and like yeah, he does the band thing and they would come out and do the acoustic thing yeah i think that's probably where it really blew my mind like you know something like day tripper mm-hmm. you know, he's doing a little riff and bass line oh yeah i can do that yeah then he's got this little melody going and it's like how's he doing that you know that's right i remember we did a um we did a show over in america for the catalina island jazz festival years ago and there was a review in the paper the next day and the reviewer said the best two guitarists I've ever seen, meaning when Tommy was on the yeah. stage on, on his own, yeah. you know, yeah. um, because it sounded like two different guys playing at the same time to yeah. him, you know. Yeah, it's incredible. And that's what he's like when, you know, there are a lot of really good guitar players that do their thing, you know, like with a band. Mm. But really, for me, I think Tommy just ho- is his own unique uh, creature when he's when he's playing on his own yeah. he sounds like a band yeah you know um i don't think there's anyone i can think of that um that touches me as much as a musician and a guitarist as yeah. when he plays on his own yeah true you know he's just he brings it out digging deep from somewhere yeah. and you know it's got all the feeling and the heart that you'd want and it's i mean he makes it seem like it's technically effortless but it's yeah. just what's so incredible what he does and does does he read uh, yeah, but not not like a lot. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he reads like a little bit, but I don't think he grew up as a reader. No, yeah. Um, like in the way, the same way I did. I think already, you know, him and Phil, his brother, were already pretty young, jamming yeah. and bouncing off each other, and and even doing gigs and stuff when they were pretty little. Whereas yeah. I was more, you know, head down in the classical guitar book yeah. sort of thing. But yeah. yeah. So the gig you did with him, was that just a tour you acoustic or with the band? No, the one I was talking about was with a band. We did a tour for his record that was called Can't Get Enough. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I think that was about 97, something like that. Yeah, yeah 96, 7. 
And so we did a little run around Australia. Mm. And then we also, uh, he got inv- invited to the Catalina Island Jazz Festival just um, outside of LA. Yep. So we went over and did that as well. Oh, and we did a gig in San Diego as well. So it was a, mm-hmm. like a short little trip over to California, really. Uh, yeah, so that was around then, 97. So I can't remember how many dates we did, but it was a pretty extensive tour for his record. Yeah. And then I did tour with him again. I mean, always when I would tour with him would be in a band okay, format. Yep. Although, however, there are moments of the show where really the rhythm section would leave the stage yeah. and Tommy would do his own thing for, you know, half an hour or so, maybe mm. more. And there's some moments where the two and I would play just together, okay. the two of us on acoustic guitars, but really just for a couple of songs, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But mostly it's the whole band. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think I saw the ones on YouTube. Oh, okay. Like you guys jamming. Yeah, like, right. Backstage or something. And yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's what a, you guys are doing. <laughs> we used to warm up. Um, yeah, that, on that tour, that was a tour um, not super long ago, but when I say that, it would be six or seven years probably. Mm. I can't remember off the top of my head what year that was, but we did a, um, a tour around Europe. Okay. And the States, actually, mm. Europe and the States. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah. That was good. And that that was that similar format where it was really, um, he was playing a mixture of all his band type stuff. But also, I think the European and the American audiences knew him more as a solo acoustic guy. Yeah. So there was plenty of that in the show as well. Yeah. yeah. You know, so he was sort of mixing it up a bit. But yeah, so what you would have seen on YouTube, I think, is... Um, him and me playing a couple of songs of his, just warming up yeah, stuff yeah. backstage. Now, staying with the, the Tommy Manuel thing, so yeah. you've got the, the guitar camp. Oh, yeah. So you're still doing that? Yeah, so uh, Tommy's asked if I'd be involved in his guitar camp twice now, which, yep. um, of course, you know, such a humbling thing when he asks you to, to be one of his instructors, you yeah. know, one of a small handful of people that, of course, essentially are there to see him and be instructed by him. But um, I guess that, you know that you're trusted enough yeah. in that in that group is very humbling. So I did that two years ago. It was the first okay. time I did that and was able to do the whole four days, which was amazing. That's another one of those experiences where you definitely want to have, have it all together before you go into that environment, yeah. especially because really I'm not, uh, you know, proficient at finger picking. It's not really my thing. Mm. Um, and most of the people at that camp, of course, are <laughs> really into finger picking. Yeah. So... You've got to find, like, you know, what else you can add, I suppose. Like, what's unique to you that, that translates no matter what the style is. So that's that's valuable. And then I did it again this year um, more as a, a guest appearance thing because my schedule didn't allow me to do the whole four days, okay. which was a shame. But, yeah, it's been fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sounds like great fun. Yeah. <laughs> and where was that in the States? No, both in Australia. The first, oh, okay. uh, the one two years ago was uh, just outside of Sydney, and the one this year was here in Melbourne. Oh, right. Really? Yeah. The idea of it, for anyone that doesn't know, is that it's um, they're always a little bit out of the city, and yeah. it's an environment where everyone basically stays in the same building hmm. or what is like a little retreat type place yeah. um, for the whole four days. So even when there's no sort of classes, isn't the right word, but you know, no workshops yeah. or something, in all the breaks, the guitarists themselves, the people, the campers, if you mm. want to call them that, um, can actually meet and jam with each other. Oh, and swap yeah. ideas and it's a really good environment in terms yeah. of that and I know a lot of them that have um, kept in touch in, on Facebook and, and yeah. things even if they don't live in the same city yeah so yeah that's really, really good yeah they're really good fun for yeah. sure and it's you know it's four days of being sort of up close and personal with, with Tommy yeah you know which uh, for anyone that's a fan of his and into that style of guitar playing is invaluable yeah because he really breaks down uh, there are plenty of workshops where 
he'll just stand right in front of everyone and break down how he does it. Mm. You know, takes takes all the uh, lets you know there's really no secrets to yeah. what he does. It's just a, a lot of playing. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, good. I'll check that one out. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. It's, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Go over to some of your other projects you've done in the past. Yeah. So now the next one's the, the Racer X project. That was fun uh, and still is. I just sort of wanted to, a few years back now, uh, I wanted to get my teeth into something that really brought me back a bit more to what I grew up listening to and, and my childhood, you know. Yeah. I think that it's probably a pretty common thing for any working musician that when you're young, you have all these influences and, and things that you want to do. And then, you know as is expected, you get older and you work for different people. And I just thought it'd be really good to have amongst all the other things that I'm doing, something that's just for me. Yeah. yeah. And as um, indulgent as I want to, as I want to be and no one's saying, Oh, I don't know if you should put that song in there or whatever. (laughs) Um, And one of the things I've been working uh, a lot and actually jamming a lot with a guitarist, James Ryan, Hmm. we've been friends for a long time and we were going through a, a little phase where we were getting together just for coffee and just the two of us and working out really crazy licks and playing them in harmony together, you know. (laughs) And so I thought, wow, wouldn't it be awesome if you could do a tribute band of Racer X, you know, Paul Gilbert's old band from the 80s. And so we we went about thinking, well, okay, so the first thing is, do we even have the players and, you know, the singer and everything that can do it? And we, we found some guys that were really into it and could do it. And we took that as a sign. We said, well, we've got to do this. Yeah. And so, yeah, so we did. Uh, we've really only done like a handful of gigs at this point over the last few years. And mainly because as it's not really a money-making venture for us, we do it for fun. It has to fit around everybody's schedule. Yeah, for sure. You know, and um, all, all the guys in the band are so talented that it's, they're all busy. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just one of those things. Yeah, but we did the, uh, the Melbourne Guitar Show a couple of years oh, yeah. back. So we uh, headlined that. That was a lot of fun. We, of course, un- understandably, you get that, oh, you really, you're going to do a Racer X band, eh? So there was a, a lot of guys with folded arms at that show. But it was great. We had a lot of fun. And I think that people thought, oh, okay, it sounds pretty good, you know? Yeah. And then we did, we've got some stuff on YouTube, of course, and, and things. We did a recording out at Pony Music oh, yeah. um, for the Guitar Gods and Masterpieces show that yeah. Dave Loder does. And so we played a bunch of songs on that and had it edited and, and I mixed it. And, and then so we threw that up on YouTube and the response actually has been really good fun from all around the world and people saying oh you know would you guys tour here and tour there and of course we would love to but it's just I don't think it's the kind of thing that would uh, generate enough coin to be a touring thing unfortunately but you never know Uh, so that's been a lot of fun Uh, we'll probably do some shows around Melbourne maybe after Christmas I think maybe early next year while the weather's still nice and warm in sort of Californian (laughs) you know so it feels like LA a little bit Um, and people are all out you know wanting to hear music and have a drink so yeah we'll we'll throw something together maybe early next year for that if you know if we can get all the guys together but there's a there's a little spin-off band too from that which is essentially the same lineup of guys and the same style of music, which is um, called Motorman. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> and so 
uh, and what that is essentially the two guitars shred you know crazy drums and crazy bass and and you know wailing vocals and all the same things really except for not racer x songs what yeah. we're going to do is do our own version of modern pop songs so we're not, whatever the kids are listening to on the radio yep. and so that could be uh, it could be a justin bieber thing there's actually some old school stuff i'd like to do a couple of uh, whitney houston songs that i've got in yeah. mind <laughs> that i think are just strangely are going to work really well yep. in that style but i've got a big list in my phone of every time i hear something i go oh that Katy perry thing would work pretty well as heavy metal <laughs> and so we're going to do that and i think i could see that eventually we'd have some fun live shows yeah sounds like it um because it would involve an element of people that are not just, uh, say, Paul Gilbert or Racer X fans. Yeah. It's people who are just fans of rock music, mm. but are hearing rock versions of, you know, tunes that they never never expect. Yeah, yeah. So, so that'll be fun. The first thing we'll do is, um, over the next few months, is we'll record them up. Okay. And, uh, and you know, throw them up on, on YouTube yep. uh, with some probably fun low-budget video clips, <laughs> you know, which... Yeah, we've got some ideas for that as well. So, oh, um, so they'll be fun. And then, you know, we'll just see what happens. But again, like the Racer Axe thing, it's for love more, yeah. more than money. So it doesn't really matter to us what happens with it as far as that. But, you know, if enough people like it, that it means we can do some shows around town and stuff, we'll be oh, pretty yeah. happy. That sounds really cool. Yeah, it'll be fun for sure. Yeah. I think, well, we'll see. But I think people will like it. We like it. It's exciting for me to even think about it. So, <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. So as well as that, you're, I mean, you've got the School of Rock you're doing at the moment as well. Yeah, so um, we've just started doing School of Rock, which is great. It's obviously just a, a musical version of the Jack Black movie. Yeah, that's um, great. I saw it the other week. Yeah, it's pretty true to the movie. And uh, the kids on stage are fantastic. They're so talented. Yeah, yeah. There's actually three groups of them and they rotate. but they're, And they're all good. So it really doesn't matter who's, who's on stage. And then... Um, that's been a blast. You know, the guitar parts are really fun to play. It's myself and um, and Tim Henwood, also on guitar from Palace of the King, and uh, Tim Hartwig as well. We think it's pretty funny that the three of us all have surnames starting with H with two syllables, Hosford, Hartwig, Henwood, so we call ourselves H-cubed. <laughs> Actually, though, I think the people in the pit want to call us the firm, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been good. Yeah. It's been great. It's fun being around uh, kids who, I mean, because really... Rock sort of had its heyday, you know, in the mm. 80s. Well, 70s, of course, as well. 70s, 80s, and maybe up to mid-90s was when it was probably one of the main types of music other than pop. Yep. But, you know, it's a different climate now, and there's so much hip-hop and R&B and, um, and still pop, of course, sort of produced pop. But it seems to be having a resurgence, and what's really, really interesting is you've got, you know, nine-year-old kids, nine mm. to, I think, the age bracket is something like, nine to 14 okay so it's pretty tight yeah, yeah. There, there's no one really very old in it and that can play guitar and drums and bass and keyboards yeah. uh, unbelievably yeah i mean the guitarists i didn't even get my first electric till i was 12 like yeah. i was saying yeah. and these guys are already shredding at like nine and ten so they've got a, a big head start you know and it's great it's really good being around that mm -hmm. environment it's a lot of fun with the the other band was it the no vacancy the one that opened yeah it. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so that play that's you guys isn't it playing yeah right yeah. so how it works is um, the kids fully all play their instruments yeah so when when they're playing when it looks like they're playing they are actually playing and then for the rest of the show it's us 
as the School of Rock house band yep. that are playing. And yeah, so whenever the adults are playing on stage, though, like yep. the band No Vacancy, that's all us. Yeah, yeah. And Dewey does play, although a lot of the crazy rock solos are mimed. That's yep. still us. There's a couple of moments where we sort of play together. Yeah, just so yeah, the sound that. is like super fat. Yeah, that was really um, good. Oh, great, great, yeah. So, but the kids are still playing. Yeah. So for anyone that's like, oh, yeah, but you're playing at the same time, it's like, well, that's all right. I'm playing at the same time as the other two guitarists in the house band as well. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's not a, never a question of that they're not plugged in. That's the best way to put it. Yeah. It looks yeah. like they're playing. Even if we're playing at the same time, they're still playing. And I noticed there was one part, I can't remember what song it was, where um, the kids were playing, like all you guys hopped up the pit and oh, yeah. checking it out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's a moment at the end of the show where... Um, I think it's a really a really good uh, thing to show the audience is uh, you know so us in the house band yeah. we kind of pop our heads up yeah. so that everyone can see us and um, it really just brings home towards the end of the show that oh yeah. okay that's just them yeah yeah it's just good. the nine and ten year olds jamming uh, so yeah that's that's a cool thing and like I said it's definitely bringing the yeah, the rock back because I remember when that movie first came out they actually had a music program called the School Rock Music Program right run on school holidays and yep. Um, I mean, that movie, I think, just influenced a lot of kids just to get back into the... Really? Right. Okay, and, that's and, good. Yeah. yeah. And it did, I think it did die down for a little while. Yep. But now I think with this coming back, you know, it is coming back into it. I think so too. And, you know, sometimes I leave the theatre and I see all these young kids, of course, that are going to the show, leaving with drumsticks and little packets of guitar picks. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think I think uh, Rock is having a bit of a renaissance, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Yeah. yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. It's good yeah. for me because, you know, that's... As we were talking about, that's how I started. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah. you know, I'm happy if, it, if it's going to come back a little bit. Yeah. And how long is that running for in Melbourne? That'll run in Melbourne till about mid-Feb. Okay. And then it goes to China for four months. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, the Australian show? Yeah, pretty much the Australian show, but not everyone. Like, for I won't be going. I'll be okay. still here teaching and doing other things. Yeah. One or two of the band might go with. Yep. And yes, the kids, the cast are going. So it's basically the Australian oh, cast wow. yeah. are fully all going to China for four months. Yeah, that's really good. So, although I think, could be wrong, but I, I have a feeling not all three groups of kids yeah. that are doing, that rotate in Melbourne are going. Okay. It might be like one group and then some uh, understudies and stuff from another group. If that oh, makes sense. Yeah, that's great for them, especially for the kids unbelievable experience yeah you know i mean and it's, it's one thing to say learn your instrument in a bedroom you know which all of us yeah. thought, oh, that's how i did it but i was just lucky as we said that you know i started playing in bands young but touring is really what sorts it out because you've got to do it night after night yeah. and i think for the kids that's great experience because if they can do that oh, yeah. whatever else they do later in life is they're going to be trained for yeah you know so if they end up about being a touring singer or a touring yeah. drummer or this or that they'll, they'll know what it's all about that's really good as far as um, what you're doing now so you're still doing a lot of recording for yourself and uh, recording for other artists yeah so um, I mean having the studio at home has been great because these days if you can record your own guitar parts for people at home, it seems to work out pretty well. Of course, back in the day, you would drag all your guitars and amps and stuff to somebody else's studio to put down your things. And there's something cool about that too because it means that you're around people. You get that creative thing where you can bounce off people and, of course, meet other people yeah. You know, and extend your network or make friends or, or all of that kind of stuff. There's a, a bit more of a camaraderie about it. However, of course, it's more expensive mm. because depending on what you're recording, 
that person would have to hire a studio at sort of 500 bucks plus a day, yeah. depending on the studio, and an engineer. And then you've got to drag all your stuff there. And yeah. then you're kind of on the clock while you're setting up for an hour. Whereas uh, with the home studio thing, people can send me their, basically their, their bed or their backing track, you know, yeah. might have just the framework of the elements, might have drums, bass and keys or something like mm. that. And give me like a brief, just a written email brief, like, oh, we want these kind of guitar parts. And so, of course, it just makes sense. I've got all my amps here, all my different guitars, that I couldn't even take all of them in my car in one trip anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know, you'd have to kind of handpick which ones you think. But this way, I go, oh, actually, that kind of guitar would be cool on this. Mm. I can just grab it and put it down. And, it's, you know, it doesn't work perfectly the first time, every time. Yeah. Obviously, um, there might be a little bit of back and forward, but that's fine. I mean, it still works for me because I get to work at home and I've got all my bits of equipment at my disposal. And for someone else, they don't have to hire a studio. Mm. Saves them money, saves them time, because they don't have to be there either. So I'll send, um, I'll upload uh, to Dropbox or something like that, the guitar parts. And then they'll let me know what they think. Usually it's, you know, yes, we like most of it, but can you change like this little thing or that little thing? Um, And so then you do that and you're done. So, So there's always that kind of work going on, although that's, there's less of that than used to be. But there's still still trickles in. I got a friend of mine who's just been out from the states, actually, who's got uh, his own original project back in LA that he sent me some parts for. So okay. I'll probably hit those next week. But again, I mean, that's perfect for that. You and I were talking earlier, of course, about the Skype lessons, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. Well, it's almost the same. I mean, he's over in LA. I mean, no one's ever going to fly you to LA to record guitar parts unless it was for a whole record or something. But this way is perfect. You know, he just uploads his drums and things. And I put the guitars on them. Yeah. Put them back in the Dropbox, yeah. and he's got them. So there's that, and songwriting too. I'm always songwriting yeah, at, yeah. here at the studio at home. And what I do with that mostly is I'll just give them to my publisher, and then they'll get farmed out. Okay. Um, and I like doing it that way. It works pretty well because sometimes if I have an artist in mind, which occasionally I do, but uh, it means you tailor the song mm. to a, a specific style or a, you know a specific kind of production. And sometimes you don't want to do that. I think that the song, however it intuitively wants to come out, like yeah. whatever sound it has and production style, and if you don't have a particular singer in mind, that can work out great because then you just write the song and, and yeah. demo it up, record it. And, of course, I just get one of my singer friends and pay them for a session and I'll come put down the vocals. Yeah. Then, it, then the song is how I hear it in my head. And it doesn't matter to me if, if it goes to someone that sounds like it, great. And if it doesn't, it doesn't matter either. Yeah. So... So yeah, that works pretty good. Yeah. So we've been doing it for a while now? Yeah, the songwriting I've been doing for a while, it started off, well, as a sort of a lone songwriter, if you like. It started off because I was in a band, original band back in about 2000. And of course, we thought we were going to take over the world and do all of that. <laughs> yeah. So we, we put a little EP of six, five or six songs together um, that we'd all written and uh, went over to LA and New York, three of us, and went yep. and shopped it. And then we changed singers at the last minute, which record companies don't tend to like. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and the whole thing, unfortunately, the wheels just kind of fell off it, uh, which was a shame because it had a lot of good things about it. Mm. But anyway, it was on the back of, it was through that that we had met some of the people that from Warner Chapel Publishing okay. because only one of us in the band at that point had a songwriting contract mm. and no one else did. And they liked the song so much, they thought, if we don't snap up these guys now, mm. if, num- if their album goes top 10 or something, we'll have to spend five times as much to get their publishing. 
But when the band fell apart, of course, they weren't, <laughs> weren't interested oh, no. in that. There went the, our publishing contract as well, yeah. except for uh, me and a, a you know colleague of mine that were in the band at the time. We decided, well, now that we already know these people, yeah. what if we just um, try and get their publishing deal anyway? Yeah. Not in the band, just as lone songwriters. But they said they didn't really want to do that, and they weren't doing that much anymore. Like yeah. very special circumstances where they'd sign someone without a band, okay. because of course what they want is someone that has a vehicle to release it to yeah. the world, which we didn't have then. But we hounded them for a year. We sent them a, diff- a song in a different style that we'd written yeah. and recorded. One about one every two weeks. Oh really? Yep. Jeez. So some would be R and B, some would be hip hop, some would be pop, some would be. Uh, sort of country-ish, like yeah. Keith Urban-y kind of stuff. Some would be like full rock. Hmm. And so we just sent, would send all these songs for, wow. for a year and they would say, yeah, it's pretty good, this or that, you could change this, you know. <laughs> and so they were really lovely about it. They would still happily receive. They said, you know, we can't guarantee you. And we're like, <laughs> yeah, we know, we know. Anyway, I was going to say a long story short, but a long story long um, <laughs> is uh, at the end of the year, they said, look, if you guys want to fly yourselves to Sydney to our main office, yep. we'll talk to you. you know? and, uh, and we got offered a, a publishing deal each. Oh, wow. And so that, was, that really sort of began my just recording my own things at, at home and sending them to my publisher. Yeah. I'm not with them anymore, but I still have a publishing contract with okay. someone else. So it's the same, works the same way, yeah. essentially. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's good. Yeah, I mean, getting to just work in your own studio at home. and That's right. Yeah. As far as making money off it, though, obviously the, the royalties of songs is impossible to, to predict. Yeah, and yep. it does require you generally to have something on the radio, which is pretty hard to do these days because most artists or bands have their in-house writers. They have their people around them that they already know. But, you know, it only takes one or two every now and again and just keeps, pays the bills. So, yeah, yeah. And, of course, like, as you're saying, but you're working from home yeah, in, your own, right. in your own studio. Yeah. So, yeah, why wouldn't you want to do that? Yeah. So, and it's good. I mean, obviously, I make, I make most of my living from playing guitar. And then that's like a nice little supplementary thing on the side. Yeah. So you're still teaching now from home? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do most of my teaching just from home, you know, in the studio. And, uh, and that works pretty well. Obviously, with touring, it, sometimes you have to, to kind of break it up and it sort of stops the momentum a little bit. But at the moment is good, you know. I'm doing School of Rock, and I'm, yeah, looks like yeah. I'm going to be in Melbourne for the summer. So yeah. And you're doing Skype lessons as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. We were talking about that before, weren't we? Um, I've had. I used to do it like right back in the early Skype days, and of course yeah. with sort of limited success. But these days, it's much much better. Yeah, yeah. All the internet speeds and and everything that we have now. So yeah, Skype lessons as well. And so people just find you on on your website, I guess. Sure. If anyone yeah wants to uh, hit me up. I'm the only Simon Hosford on Facebook, yep. so they're welcome to private message me on that. And also, uh, my email address is just my name at mac.com. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I'll put all the links in the show notes too, so Great. people can get straight onto it. Perfect, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, people can feel free to contact me, no problem. Yeah. Now, there's one more thing I want to ask you about, which sure. is about one of my favorite bands, Yes. Van Halen. I know we mentioned it before. I know a year ago we spoke about the you're doing a Van Halen not a tribute, was it? Like a- well, yeah, it, it was really to celebrate the 40th anniversary right, yeah. of the first Van Halen record ever, yeah. um, Van Halen 1. Because I was interstate at the time, kind of missed the anniversary date to the day. But technically, it's still the 40th year since the yep. Van Halen 1 record. So, yeah, I used to be in a Van Halen tribute band called Fair Warning okay. back in the day. And we haven't done anything for a long time. 
But we thought it would be a really good thing to just put a show together. And, you know, we could throw in some other songs in the encore or whatever, but essentially we thought, why don't we just play Van Halen 1, like the record, from the first song to the last song, to celebrate the 40th anniversary of that record. Uh, So we're putting that together as we speak. Oh, excellent. We're actually just um, settling on a singer, and I think we have. Oh, good. So I would say, you know, at some point in the next month or two, we might not be able to squeeze it in technically this year now, but uh, that's okay. I mean, Van Halen haven't really done anything, so... That's yeah, right. The no, they didn't. They didn't. That's right. Yeah. So it's up to me. That's right. Um, <laughs> no, it's up to us. And um, me and a friend of mine just the other night were scoping out some venues. It'll be a uh, standby for that. It'll be called Fair Warning, probably. Okay. You know, just to be respectful to our original name but you never know we might just advertise it as um van halen one celebrated or something something obvious so people don't have to try and decipher what it is but yeah if anyone's into van halen look out for that because that'll be a lot of fun i'll be there (laughs) oh great (laughs) like i said that was my main influence growing up so van halen yeah yeah well like we're talking about before mine too it was really like the first time i was really just honed and focused in on a guitarist as opposed to just listening to the radio or whatever you know random stuff I was like, oh, you're the guy. Okay, cool, cool. Something else about Eddie particularly, actually, was that he was probably the first sort of super rock guitarist guy, too, that that really looked like he was having fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. On stage and stuff, you know, as opposed to a lot of the other guys who I I loved, because I love the high energy of the rock. But it was all very posy and serious, you know, like tongue out and black leather. and, And, you know, part of me loved that, too. But But, you know... Well, I think that video, that Live Without a Net thing, mm. had an especially big impact because they were basically dressed in, uh, he had tracksuit pants and a s- singlet on, and he was smiling the whole time. He was the opposite of yeah. everyone else and playing like that. And I think um, that definitely, like as I started doing gigs, I knew I wanted to be a guy that was having fun on stage yep. rather than taking it super seriously, you know, like sure practice and prepare for the gig seriously so that you will sound good but once you're actually on the stage you gotta let that go yep you know that's exactly the same really yeah yeah yeah. like you're saying that really influenced me to just yeah see me having a good time smiling and just all of them right just the joy in music yeah and you know everyone else was so you know at the time like if you're i mean if you're looking at early motley crew videos or whatever and like i said i love all that too but it was totally different energy, you know? For sure. And it really spoke to me much deeper, I think. Yeah, yeah. Even their songs, too, I guess. There's no really depressing songs. They're all happy, you know. No, it's all songs. pretty up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It must be something to do with that California sunshine, <laughs> you know. But, um, I mean, that's also why I think this time of year in Melbourne is mm. the perfect time to do a gig like that. Yep. Because, and especially for anyone that's spent any time over there, it does feel uh, everything's pretty up vibe and summery feeling. Yeah. I look forward to that one for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll let you know. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, my my son's his name's Eddie. So really, yeah. and because of yeah, yeah, yeah. wow, and they've got a wall painted at home, so like the the stripes, the Van Halen stripes. That's fantastic. <laughs> I didn't yeah, I'm know big, that. Big fan. Wow, that's really really cool. Yeah. Actually, that I've got a lot of Maiden guitars. Actually, and yep. that one just there that that oh, we're looking yeah. at was I said, could you do me something just red with one humbucker <laughs> and a maple neck? Yeah. And so that's what they did. So obviously, yeah. being true to their style, it's still their shape and no Floyd Rose and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Still the top stop tail bridge and all of that. But, you know, kind of a little tip of the hat. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so nice. yeah. No, but that'll be a fun gig. We'll definitely, yeah. you know, we'll dress up the room. We'll do the red, white, black streamers and balloons. And, yep. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. Excellent. Lots of fun. <laughs> We're thinking about doing a red carpet too, where we do the white and black stripes all over it. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Well, I think we pretty much covered everything. Oh, no, sorry, one more thing. Yeah. The acoustic album. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, probably I'll, I'll wait for Christmas and New Year's to blow over, and then I'm going to get my head stuck into uh, just a little acoustic record that I'm going to do, which is going to be instrumental. And material-wise, it's, it's going to be some things that I've written over the years that I've never really done anything with. Yep. You know, over the years, I've also done, arrange, like, basically finger-style arrangements of, you know, it might be an old classical piece of music or something yeah. that I happen to always like. And, oh, that'd be interesting to see if you could play that on a guitar. So I'll open-tune it or do something crazy and then see if I can. So it won't be a big record. It might only have, like, seven or eight tracks like all the records of yesteryear that I love you know yeah. feels like these days you've got to get through like two and a half hours of music to on an album you know <laughs> yeah that's right um, but anyway yeah and it'll just be acoustic uh, guitar instrumental stuff oh, so, very good yeah so that'll be interesting too and again it's just one of those things having the home studio I'm fortunate because I can probably record it pretty cheap yeah. and I'll put it out just on iTunes and Spotify just for it'll be something I'll be doing just for me really yeah. just as a passion thing but yeah, so that's another thing that'll be fun. It's a very busy year. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, well, it's one of those things. I mean, just with the the way that music is now, you know, to really to make a full time living out of it, you kind of have to have your fingers in different pies. Yeah. You know, and I'm lucky because you know I'm doing the school of rock thing at the moment. Yeah. Um, and then I got these other little projects I can keep my creativity uh, part satiated, and then teaching, which is a a, a good way to give back. You know, I've, yep. I've taught guitar since I was. 15 actually because yep. uh, my guitar teacher my original teacher I was telling you about Ron Longmore he was so flat out teaching every night of the week mm. at home that when I got to 15, 16 he just said look I can't t- take all these students anymore yeah. would you like to do some teaching so I've been teaching on and off since then and in fact I'm putting together a little online coaching system too um which is just going to have sort of like free little YouTube videos yep. and um, sort of helpful hints and stuff like that that I'm going to call um, uh, the working title at the moment Unleash Your Guitar. Oh, cool. So, um, so yeah, if anyone sees that in, you know, in the next few months, that'll be me yeah. doing that, um, which is, again, just a nice way to, to do something to give back. Yep. You know, yeah, sort of free tips and bits and pieces. Excellent. Yeah. handful of gigs. Uh, around March next year, touring with Vanessa Amorosi again. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's, uh, she lives in LA now oh, and has for the last few years, but she's coming out and doing another tour next year, so I'll be on that. Excellent. So that'll be fun. Uh, Is that with Paul um, Keyboard? Yep, Paul Chickenelli. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. I him a long time ago. Right, yeah. cool. Yeah, that'll be Paul on keys and uh, Rod Bustos on bass and Johnny Salerno on drums, which has been really Vanessa's main touring lineup yeah. with us for a while. So that'll be fun. Where I think we're on the same bill with uh, John Farnham and John Stevens and Daryl Braithwaite. I did see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so that'll be good. That'll be fun. Yeah. Is it the, the Big C? Is that what they call it? I think they're calling it the Big C. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, when School of Rock finishes, there'll be it'll be you know a little bit back to touring land kind of thing, which is always happening. So that'll be good. But there's yeah, you're right. There's always that kind of stuff going on where I'm touring yeah. for a different different singer here or there. Cool. Awesome. All right, well, thanks very much, Simon. You're welcome, Adam. Appreciate it. Pleasure. So I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. It really was great finally getting to, to meet Simon and catch up and talk about all the things he's got going on. Uh, it sounds like he's going to be a very busy guy next year. So again, I'd like to thank my sponsors, Custom Guitar Picks and Living Music in Greensboro. So thank you guys. So this will probably be my last podcast for this year. I hope you guys all have a a great Christmas and a new year. 
and I'll definitely catch up in 2019. So until then, keep jamming.